Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter in our episode, our special episode today on um, gun violence slash safety. And we'll talk about that as we as we proceed. This is our second show on on gun violence. Our first one focused on, frankly, the, the whole concept, where we are with it, the epidemiology behind it, conceptual aspects, political aspects, et cetera. And today we have a special guest that will bring more of a personal perspective to it all. And I'll let Clarence introduce our illustrious guest in a, um, in a moment. Um, as you all know, in order to have a successful podcast, you really need a, um, a good crew um, behind the scenes. And we have a crew that's second to none. Our researcher are Aaron Collins and Maddie Levine-Wolf. Our production manager slash guru is uh, Matthew Campbell. Of course, um, I could not do any of that for sure, and I cannot do it at all without my um, my right hand person, and that's um, Clarence Jones, who both of us have been great colleagues for a long time, and will continue to be so um, going forward. So thank you to all of you yet again for another great episode today. As I said, we're we're going to be talking about gun violence. And Clarence, take it away. Why don't you introduce our wonderful guest? Thank you, Stan. Today, I am honored that uh, we have the privilege of hearing from Ms. Princess Titus Haley. Uh, she is a colleague, a community member. She is someone who both Stan and I have known for a while. Uh, Princess has worked with me on various projects. And uh, today, we're going to talk about a topic that's a very, very uh, very, very important as it relates to community. Uh, we so many times we we talk about these various issues, and so we need to hear communities' voices. Uh, Princess is a teacher. She's a lyricist. She's a possibility thinker. Princess has so many talents. I mean, uh, I probably could talk about her for the next uh, five minutes. But one of the things that I am most uh, privileged to know about her is that she's a friend and she's someone who has truly made a commitment to making our community healthier. Uh, she's also uh, someone who has worked with us on the Faith Project. And uh, I'm honored because I believe that her story needs to be told. It is a, a story that will help us to better understand how we as a community should be working together in order to address these issues. So. Uh, that's what I want to say, Stan. Uh, I, I, I'm going to let Princess do her own thing because she is quite the star. Princess, when I think about gun violence, the one word that's really come into my head is how it hurts us and all of us. And it's like, when is enough enough? And how is it that we can um, can deal with it more actually a lot better than than we have as a nation and obviously as a, as a nation we aren't if we compare ourselves to other nations we aren't doing very well um but to really get this going princess why don't you tell us your personal story thank you clarence thank you stan for allowing me this space to share story um it's actually a part of that healing when you talk about 
how it hurts us. It's the acknowledgement, it's the acceptance, it's the space where I can find purpose after the, the impacts of community gun violence. Um, so I'll just share my story briefly, maybe without tears, maybe with tears, the listeners will feel the energy either way. And so I came to Minnesota. I say that I was a refugee from Chicago because I just really left and didn't have a destination and didn't have family in Minnesota. I wasn't concerned if I bought a ticket north or south. It was just the next train leaving Chicago because I had a baby strapped to my chest, Anthony, who was about 10 months old. And then I had his brother, Jesse, who was about two, barely walking, you know, walking in my hand. And I didn't want, I wanted to do everything that I could to stop my sons from the overburdened toxins and violence in the city of Chicago. So I've been in Minnesota about 27 years. I um, received public assistance for about eight months. It took me that amount of time to receive my GED. Um, I worked at two jobs at a time until my son's teacher said that he had ADHD. I quit my job. I lived off my savings. I volunteered in his classroom. And I, when the teachers had um, in, in days where they would do trainings, I would attend the trainings as well. So I started to learn about the development of children. And before you know it, I was in school to get my teaching license. I worked at the Minneapolis Urban League as an HIV counselor with young people who were gang and click affiliated HIV STD prevention. I was a licensed employment counselor. Um, I turned all of that into being a life coach with a network for better futures where my caseload of men that I worked with were men who had taken life and were re-entering the community um, and hearing the stories of the harm that happens in a household before there's gun violence, those other violences that puts a young child in a framework where their life is devalued. So the choice to devalue someone else's life to take it was um, the narrative. Uh, I was working at the network in 2007 and finishing up my degree at Metro State University. Jesse was finishing up his recovery treatment. Um, Anthony was turning 16 on Father's Day. I had just graduated. Um, we went out for his 16th birthday and after that he got an ID and he called me from the DMV and he said mom what's a donor and I said I was busy doing something and I didn't think anything of it and I said well I'm not sure if you give your organs or what you can donate I said but the people there are the professionals so you can ask them the questions and we never revisited that conversation <laughs> two weeks after Anthony turned 16 on July 4th 2010 which is a very happy holiday for people me and Jesse, my older son, were walking towards the banister. Sobriety was new in his life. We were about to watch the fireworks. And then we heard someone say from behind us four words that still echo through my life every day. Fat, fat, got shot. 
Fat Fat was Anthony's nickname. As a baby, he was pretty chunky. And I remember the life that was ahead of me to watch the fireworks and take my next teaching test and go into the school system. It faded. Um, I turned around and this has been my new walk to drive to the spot where he was, to have to deal with law enforcement, um, peacefully letting them know that is my son, um, being threatened to be arrested because the building that I was standing on was abandoned. It was just the space that I had to find leaving the crowd at this area where they were looking and watching at the yellow tape where I could see, is this truly my new life, a life without my 16-year-old son? Um, and so after we saw that that was Anthony, after I saw that that was Anthony, I, it's funny how you said, Stan, how it hurts you. And it, I believe an experience like this will break your flesh to the point where your spirit is exposed. And so being able to walk in spirit and approach a community of grieving children and have them get hands and give thanks that we knew him, that we loved him. Um, because with life, there comes death. But even when I know I said that now, it doesn't make sense to me now. So maybe I did it to keep the peace. Maybe I did it to attempt to create a healing space for young people in that site. Um, the next day I went back to where Anthony's um, body laid and I found a button and I removed the street memorial because he didn't like them. And I left a note that said, if you want to see me, you know where I live. Um, I just unrolled big sticky note papers and counted um, 759 young people came to my house. 60 young people came more than once and they wrote stories and phone numbers and notes to Anthony. And still it wasn't enough to um, save the lives of the children who had to survive losing a life that they saw as not a part of gang life. Someone who played hockey and skateboarded over moon shoes and was cool with the kid who was slightly overweight because his name was Fat Fat. So he thought he could make that cool. Um, the one who was the peacemaker for a lot of children or gave them clothes or told people not to bully them. So I watched children um, begin the cycle of harming themselves in response to the gun violence. So I just want to end this part by saying, I think we have all the words and I'm happy you said gun violence slash gun safety because gun violence is what happened to my family. Gun safety is what we strive to have. But in the seams of it, there lies the need to intentionally do some healing and for people to decide to not to continue 
to participate in behaviors that perpetuate the internal and the external harms after gun violence has happened. So, you know, Princess, thank you for sharing that. I mean, as long as I've known you, I've never heard that 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 narrative like that. And uh, I, I do appreciate that. And I think that that's part of why we want to have this kind of conversation. I know that it's painful. And we talked about that. Mm -hmm. You know, you said you don't know how you might respond to this. But I, I, I do. I do thank you because you did not you did not withdraw with in spite of all of your struggles you did not withdraw you 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 went forward with this i mean in terms of reaching out you know you talked about all the kids that came to your uh to your house just to uh to see you to talk to you to to share their can you talk about how that has really impacted what you've done afterwards because you've done a lot of things you've mentioned a lot of different kinds of things uh uh, I know that uh, you were uh, one of the co-founders of Appetite for Change. I mean, you've been doing a lot of things, uh, Standard Edition for Women. Uh, you know, you've been helping me out. Uh, talk about, as tragic as that that event was, talk about how it helped to shape your world and your work that you're doing today. Thank you. Um, this was a question that I have to reflect on. When tragedy hit our home specifically, it places value on different things. It places value on the garden, um, on family time. It places value on those frozen moments where you're looking and you have nothing to say. And I didn't know to value those things until they were the only place that gave me joy because I could remember and see Anthony in them. So those rushed moments where you're like, come on, hurry up, let's get in the car. And he's standing there and you're standing there and you're like, what? And he's like, nothing. And it's like, okay, then let's go. You want to slow down. You want to absorb um, those moments you want to hold hands longer. So that tragedy really had me value the relationships that I had with my children. Um, often community doesn't know how to respond. And so it's almost like being a victim of community gun violence, especially you almost wear a scarlet letter and other people are more sensitive if your child died of thalassemia or sickle cell. Um, but if your child was, you know, Anthony was hit by a bullet intended for another child who children continue to try to hit with a bullet in front of my home continuously. And then I know the stories and lives of these children. So the tragedy had me participate more in what children are going through and feeling, which turned into a work of offering a supportive space to them. Me and Anthony planted a strawberry garden behind the house and some cucumbers. We were just experimenting. We used kitty-sized swimming pools and poked holes in the bottom of them. We didn't know anything about soil testing. We learned to grow with the Hmong farmers on Olsen Highway. 
um, language was not a barrier, but, but they taught me how to grow. I mean, I don't speak Hmong and they don't speak English, but it didn't stop them from teaching us. And so when he passed, I didn't go back to the garden. And so I was able to engage young people in my garden when I went back that following year. And then I met with um, Michelle Horvitz, Natasha Powell, and we were talking about the role that food plays in a community that's overburdened with um, toxins, processed food, just things that don't allow for healthy development of that part of the brain that makes those decisions. Um, and so we, I co-founded Appetite for Change. We did food justice work for 10 years. And amidst that time, I still was participating with From Death to Life, um, Mothers Against Community Gun Violence, um, because I still felt that there was a need that I was hearing from the children's mouths that I was seeing as I observed their behaviors and truly from the, the stories that they told me. So the young man who they was attempting to take his life, he lost his 16 year old life that day as well, not physically, but People thought he set my son up, so they were trying to hurt him. So he's got these two people who are trying to driving around shooting at him. Um, and then now he has to carry a weapon to protect himself. And then he's arrested. And when he's arrested, he's put in the room with the boys who shot my son, and they don't know him. So my son's life was taken because of that fight, flight, or freeze response, that automatic trauma that's sitting, that's waiting. You, you t all talked about it in the last podcast, how people are just, you know, you have that weapon and then you, you, you can't contain your feelings or emotions, but mistaken identity. I, I watch children um, develop serious addictions to things like um, um, K2, Percocets, um, um, promethazine um, because as you all talked about in the last uh, podcast that opportunity to have something else to do is definitely a need when it comes to systemic racism and lack of opportunities in our community and economic deprivation but there's a piece that that, that rest that play that healing that piece is missing. None of the children in my son's school were able to just stop and process. My, my older son was expected to just go back to school and be fine. And so the call started to come from the teachers like, okay, Jesse's not paying attention to class. Okay. He, he said that he would um, do something to himself or somebody else. And he really didn't care. The whole world could just blow up for him. And I'm like, do you know what happened to him? And it reminds me of the ACEs. And I know the CDC has a, also a, an assessment tool that talks about what happened to you and how long the exposure, but that proximity and that duration of violence really from that tragic event set I set myself outside of it, even though I was the probably the primary frame holder and the picture, I stepped outside of it to look to see because I didn't want to continue to meet mothers in a group. 
healing in the garden, listening to the children and, and really seeing that even when I get the data and I get the, we got the laws, that there was a piece that was maybe more pieces that are missing, but that was the one piece. And that was the area in which I attempted to work in offering healing spaces. You know, um, all you can say after, you know, hearing your story is, wow, how is it that you were able to um, come to grips with it all? And all of us, you know, at one point or another um, face death. And um, I've, in my years, I've come to realize there are certain deaths that are just sad. Like I was at a funeral last week of a father of a friend of mine who was 104 years old. I mean, all of us, you know, no younger should have to go, okay? So it was still sad, but it wasn't, the next word, devastating, mm. okay? Like, you know, for me, I can just relate that, you know, my father passed away when I was when I was 24, and that was devastating. I didn't have a dad for a long time then. What you have added to this conversation is the word tragic, which, um, thank you, because that's another um, adjective that I, I need to embrace personally in dealing with death. So there's like sadness, there's devastation, and then there's tragic, which you have identified. They all hit you. They all hit you, right? You know, you don't want it to hit you, but how you, how you related your story on how you were able to, um, to deal with it going forward is, um, is really miraculous for, for all of us, and um, and so thank you. One thing I do want to bring up, and and you know, Clarence, maybe you can respond to this as well. Is um, we see like both both sides of of this um, gun issue. Um, one is the um, the homicide. Okay, people getting killed by someone else, and then there's suicide. Okay, where we're seeing guns in this in this case being used as the uh, the method of choice to kill your yourself and suicides, um, it's it's interesting. Suicides is higher. We brought this up last in our last show. Suicides by guns is much much higher in the um, in the white population, whereas homicides are much higher. In the um, in the black arena, um, both are bad, right? Both are <laughs> are not good, and we as a society need to address both. Clarence, what what are your thoughts on on this? The gestalt of all of this? It's it, it's. I think Stan, when you when you when you said that, because I was thinking about some of the same things too. Uh, I think. And, and I'm going to take a risk here, uh, Princess, in, in terms of talking about our community, all right? I know that there's a huge amount of, of, of homicide that occurs among us, but I think there's a, there's a growing uh, number of people that are committing suicide in our community as well, uh, whether that's while they are alone or while, or while they might put themselves in a position to be killed. 
And I think that that's one of the things that's, you know, that's not being necessarily discussed or talked about mm. is that sometimes life, stress, depression, disconnection causes you to do things. You know, you, you talked about your son, the, the oldest one that was in school that, that talked about, you know, he wanted to do something to himself, right? Or, you know, in school, the teacher was making a report about that. I think people get to that point where they're willing to do anything uh, to uh, uh, to get rid of the pain and the frustration that they're feeling. And so if a gun is available, uh, they will do that. Now I'm going to take a side story here and, and it, you know, to talk about how sometimes life can get you. I'm allergic to walnuts. Okay. So let me, let me, let me, let me tell you my story, but <laughs> I ate a, um, I ate a, a, a muffin with walnuts in it one day. And I had another, something else with walnuts in it one day. And I got to a point where I was ready to run out in front of a truck mm. because of all the things that was going on in me. I mean, it was not any outside pressure. It was just that that, that, that walnut just got to me and it just like, just, and so I, I you know, I, I, I know I, I, when you told your story, I felt the same way. I, I mean, I can't even, I can't even, I'm not trying to compare. I'm just saying sometimes in life, you get into those situations where it's like, I have to do something to relieve myself and whatever that might mean. And so, so many people, because guns are so accessible to them, I mean, instead of them being able to deal with, with certain situations, they are re ready to take that, that quick, that quick step, which is a uh, devastating, tragic step, whether it's towards themselves or towards others. And I think that we need to talk about those ways in which we might be as a community, we might be able to try to address the issue of gun violence, but gun mm -hmm. violence is not just, just the guns. Right. You know, there are other things, there are other things that are, that are factor. You talked about institutional racism, you talked mm -hmm. about, you know, depression. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on. And so we look at this thing and say, oh, it's just the guns. No, 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 no. You know, what do they say? Guns don't kill people, people kill people. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there right there. But it, but it's like, I do know that we have an issue and a problem that we have to talk about. So, Princess, what do you think? Um, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because you your, your body is designed in a way to, it's going to respond. Chemicals going to flow. That's why that walnut did that to you, right? Um, and, and I'm not offended by the comparison either because- that wasn't a time for you to think. I think in the last one, you talked about the reptilian brain and what happens. And so, um, and then there's a, you said it in the beginning, Stan, how this hurts us, how this happens to us. And to have that scarlet letter and our children not received back into the community as if we're here to really support them, um, they still have to follow the rules. You still have to show up for school every day. There's no exceptions to the rules for people like for people like us. Um, I, I almost feel like it's almost like a traumatic brain injury or one of those um, harms that you don't see and they want you to be okay. Yeah. And I can only speak from the standpoint of a black woman. And I don't say this to make people feel bad for me, but I say this to represent the millions 
mm-hmm. of mothers who have to get up every day without child or children that have been lost because of gun violence and that circle, including police and community gun violence, self-harm, just using a harm reduction model way to say that because young people in my community don't think of it as suicide. I need them to think about when you're sipping too much lean, when you're using fentanyl or opioids because you want to stop that pain, which is leading us to this opioid epidemic. But that is a response to somebody or losing their life to gun violence or how much you hear about um, gun violence and then you have so you have the the um the substance use disorder you have the self-harm and then you have the community gun violence and what the way that the system is approaching it is that they separate those things so that would mean i could not be in a healing group with a woman whose son took their own life if they it's going to be a different group for the woman who the child who used a weapon. It's going to be a different group for the child who um, hang, hung their sails. It's going to be a different group for the child who used. It's going to be a different group for the child. And we're saying, no, I still don't want to eat. I yeah. still don't want to. I can't. I cannot care for myself. I cannot open my mail. So now my house is in foreclosure. I didn't notice I didn't open mail until my lights were not on. which was six months later because and so women almost need to be cared for as our vets were because we were steady in home working 80 hours a week managing that to remove that barrier of opportunities my boys did play hockey that's the best newspaper article they had of Anthony beautiful and but they still said another man dead My child was more than another man did. He was Anthony, say his name. I say his name in life, say his name in transitioning. And so we're doing that. And then someone picks us up out of our life and drops us in the war. So currently standard edition women is a collective of 77 women across the United States who have lost children um, in different ways and what we're doing now is we're conducting our own self-studies. We have an initiative called Before, During, and After the Bullet, where we're having courageous conversations with families who, who get to identify where are they in this spectrum. We have the conversation where we're hearing what's the problem that they think it is, what solution do they think will help. And then we have a separate conversation with the children where we're talking about how to choose friends. Um, How do you respond when somebody says something to you that hurts your feelings? How does trauma feel in your body? Um, How do you affirm those itches, those twitches, those stresses up? Um, How do you feel when you hear about gun violence? And one young man said, "I, I just don't know what to do about it. So why should I care? Yeah. Talking to middle schoolers about the school to prison pipeline. They are the people who this conversation will impact 
in an age appropriate way as an educator, I think to continue to not involve them in the conversation. We're not preparing them to respond in a way that they can strive toward gun safety, but we're equipping them with experiences. The gun, you, you all talked about the automatic um, weapons that are toys, like the, you know, like the candy cigarettes. We're letting them watch the video games. We're letting them listen to the music um, to talk to them and let them know that it appears that they're being targeted. There's not another culture that has music that represents and perpetuates death um, of itself. And I, I love rap music and the self-expression and the outpouring of that pain that these young people experience in urban areas. But when children hear it, they think that it's an option of what they can choose from to do. They don't hear yeah. it as therapeutic pouring out. They hear it as this is what I can do and should do. Right. So, so let they're me ask you, yeah, you bring up some really incredible points here, and um, and it's related to the idea. And Clarence and I, we we talk about this all the time. How do you embrace community? So um, let me give you a, a for instance. I remember distinctly when uh, President Kennedy was shot. Okay, and I remember as as a community, I remember going with my my family to the synagogue that that evening and it was packed the it was absolutely packed with this sense of community okay it's like how is it that we can all come together and and first of all cope that's number one and then deal with going forward you bring up ideas about um I call it prevention. Um, Matthew has brought up, you know, the idea of, you know, why are things so slow in us, us, all of us addressing this issue? So I, I wonder if maybe you could comment on those two things. Community, how is it that we can, that community, first of all, comes together to help heal and then go forward? And then number two, why are things so slow? Um, and okay, so I get to go back to my notes. I love when I can refer, reference my notes. Um, and so how do we come together as community to deal with it is first to just acknowledge it, that it happened to us. And so for us to experience it and have to fix it and have to heal through it and have to find the solutions for it, that's a heavy lift, right? Because we're expecting, um, the person who was in the car accident to drive their self to physical therapy and participate in the physical therapy. So first of all, creating a space where I believe the younger that we start, because the younger children, we are um, building foundations for how they'll respond. And so implementing something in the schools, um, it is a public health issue. Our education system has our children for majority of the time of the day. That's where they're educated. I remember in 2015, a whole bunch of teachers of color from Metro State, we were trying to get the Department of Education to consider um, healing to be added into the social studies curricul curriculum 
and really having some of those life skills that we think our children need added to social studies and have instead of having history kind of being repeated in social studies so you can review the way people socially engaged in history um, because right now it's just being avoided until the next shooting you yeah. can't you can't get off the ropes because there's four more shootings and then there's seven more shootings and then there's another shooting um, so at some point in time to just start to talk to people about this conversation regularly as we prepare as a prevention mes- method. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then talking about how do we respond to it when it happens? Are the resources um, in one consolidated place to the point where a person can navigate or can have someone to assist them in navigating? Um, with Standard Edition Women, we offer coaching support to about 20 women. Um, and the before, during, and after the bullet initiative was an idea that came from these women. And, and, and it ta- you said, why is it so slow? Because from what I understand about um, tragedies like this and the trauma, it smashes time down and then it smears it throughout your life. And so when it takes me 10 hours to do a resume with a woman who's lost her son, and I haven't heard her say his name. And she just says, you know, since that year, and I won't say the year just to keep her situation private, but she'll say, just for example, since 1994, you know, since 1994. And we're writing jobs that are back in 1994. And every, every duty, not every job, but every duty, there's a story. Yeah. That's connected to her child, who the story is still told without a name, but we're not missing out on any tears. And it took that long to get that resume. And so for me to be offering that coaching, doing bubble therapy, allowing her to tap and acknowledge where she's feeling it in her wrist and her ankles, that twitch in her head, that clench in her jaw. Um, one on one, I can offer that, but it's at the expense of my health. And, and my doctors are saying, well, Princess, you can't be on the front line. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, if not me, then who? Because we are the forgotten about women because of the stigma behind. So maybe that's why it's so slow. There's yeah. a stigma behind when you use your child to self-harm or suicide, overdose or substance use disorder, gun violence, whether it's community or police, they almost feel like they just it, maybe they think it's catchy. I don't know. But going back, Stan, to when I offer those services to young people, this this is like throwing your $20 bill in the bottom of the garbage can and then cleaning out your fridge. You got to peel back those layers. Yeah, yeah. And who has time to do that when we just want you to be okay and go back to school and join a hockey program or go do something with yourself so you don't get a gun. But I've been hurt. The young man, family... There's two young men who are incarcerated for taking my son's life. There was a young lady who was European who was actually driving the car. She got one year in the workhouse. She drove them when they shot Anthony. She drove them two more times to my house to shoot at the young man they were trying to kill. And in any of the records, I cannot find her name. So there's a, there's a problem that's there. Yeah. But to get me to have a household that's healing and healthy for my children 
I have to start my healing. I can't fight the fight on a political systemic level. I have to make that individual change that makes that social shift that'll create that systemic change. Or I can be involved in child protection because now my daughter is in harm's way because I can't get her to school on time. And then I think there's harm in my home. So now I need a weapon and I'm not going to teach her about that, but we're connected about how how to safely use weapons to protect our home. But that's when people like Black Family Blueprint come in line because they are teaching gun safety and protection without guns. Like there's other options to keep your family safe other than guns. So I think I hit how we deal with it um, and why it's going so slow. There's so many layers and it's icky. You don't want to go in your garbage, right? And dig it back if there's something of value down at the bottom. And that's what it's like. You know, you bring up a, a great analogy of layers. It's like, okay, if, if, and, and um, Matthew, to your point, why are things so slow? If indeed we peel off one layer and then another episode happens, then that layer goes back into the queue. It's like, you know, we're in this constant unpeeling and then putting that peel back unpeeling and putting the peel back we're not getting anywhere okay mm-hmm. ideally what we want to do is is peel off and let that one go so that we can truly move ahead but we keep perpetuating and that's that's the hard part here and if i can add one more thing stan i think about it as internal and external environment my internal environment, the food I consume, the messages I consume, the toxins that I breathe in are all going to impact how I engage in the environment. So my external environment is shaping my internal environment. If I had, if, if money was not an option and I had access to what I needed, I would have maybe three homes, 20 rooms per home. And when children were, um, when their families deal with this, I would go and get the children and take them out of the home so that they could experience nature and grass and things that are healing because we know in these environments, it's going to be another situation like you were saying, Stan. So then we got to put that peel back and to teach those young people, those healing principles, those principles of wellness, releasing of tears, that's fine. Recreating and designing a culture that prioritizes healing and appreciation and compassion and accountability. Too often we're talking about the issues and not celebrating the fact that I'm still here. And I know we're probably at the end of our time, but that's the beautiful part of this. Through that tragedy, I'm still here. And thank you all for having me. You know, Princess, you're, you're um, an inspiration. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that um, you had to go through what you went through. And we can, um, we can sympathize um, but we can't empathize, you know, for those of us who haven't been involved in that that kind of a situation. But know that um, our arms are around you, 
and and hopefully together, um, all of us um, as professionals, as colleagues, as as friends, uh, we're putting our arms around the issue, and um, let's just all hope that. Um, something positive will come from all of this energy that that we're trying to put out there. Clarence. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to say this because I know our time is up, but Princes, we love you. And I know that when I go out into the community, they love you too. I mean, I, it's, it's always amazing when you walk into the room, how it just kind of glows and, and and everybody like, hey, Princess, you know, so I, I enjoy that. But I do appreciate you being willing to share with us your story. I do appreciate you being willing to share with us your thoughts. And you just talked about the fact that you are right now in the community doing uh, some work around uh, before, during, and after the bullet with uh, with some community organizations. So I wanted to to put that out there and to thank you and to thank uh, Hennepin County, I think, for uh, making that happen. Uh, we are excited about the work and uh, we'll continue to work with you. So that's you my know, we story always... sticking to it. Yeah, we always say, um, what can we at, in, in, um, in Health Chatter and our audience do going forward? And um, I think Clarence, you would agree with me on this one that keep the conversation going. If we, keep, if we let the conversation die, then the issue dies. And this is too important of an issue that we really need to keep it really moving. So Princess, many, many thank yous go to you and uh, perhaps we'll have you on a, a future show as well. For thank our you. listening audience, uh, thank you for joining us on, on Health Chatter. Keep Health Chatting away. Our next show will be um, a second show on, um, on diabetes with uh, TJ Jones, who suffers from, um, from diabetes. And so we'll get, be able to get a personal reflection from him on that as well. So for all of you, once again, health chat away.